Welcome to the Lifting Lindsay podcast. Before we dive into today's episode with Jordan Lips, who I am so excited to have on, by the way, he's just a fun personality, great coach, is a, a fun one to follow on Instagram as well. And I actually coached him for quite some time, so I know him really well. We had some always entertaining, fun uh, calls where we would just learn together. I just I really appreciate him in this space. But anyways, before we dive into that, I just want to remind you guys, I made this announcement last week, but we've started the Lifting Lindsay Walking Book Club. So I'm encouraging you guys to get the audiobook of The Gap and the Gain. It so applies to fitness and goals and just self-expansion. I love this book. I'm learning so much. I have loved the feedback I've already gotten from you guys. So it's not too late to start. You can join the newsletter. The newsletter is in the show notes. Click on that to join and you will be getting announcements of new books that we're doing. You'll also be getting a link and the dates when we do our meetups because I really want to do some virtual meetups. And this isn't a virtual meetup where it's just my face talking and the rest of you are just sitting there watching. That's kind of lame if you ask me. What it's going to be is it's going to kind of be like a Zoom call. Well, we're using Google Meet, but um, it's going to be one where if you want to show your face and if you want to raise your hand and if you want to share what you loved from this book, what has uh, helped you become a better human being and somebody who's contributing in positive ways to your family and community, I, I'm so excited to hear from you. This is a great way that we can come together and uh, be a real community and really help each other. Um, the gap in the gain, I have already had women writing me saying, I would have never picked up this book, but it is changing my life. And so, I mean, I don't want to oversell it, but I feel like I just did. <laughs> You're going to be like, you better change my life, Lindsay. No, it is one that I actually have already read. and. I knew I needed to pick it up and read it again. I could feel I was living in the gap and I needed to get out of it. And so I knew I needed to pick it up again. So I'm just encouraging you. It, it's, you know, throwing your earbuds 10 minutes a day. You can commit to listening to this for 10 minutes a day. Um, walk around and tidy up your house or go for a walk or when you go to pick up your kids from school, listen to it on the way. I mean, just find 10 minutes a day. You can commit to that. I guess it's not a walking book club if you're driving to school, but maybe get there a little bit earlier and, and make laps around your car. I don't care. <laughs> you, you figure out a way to get movement. And so it's like a physically you're being uplifted and emotionally uh, mentally, we're learning, we're growing, we're being uplifted and becoming a more well-rounded person. I love it. Okay. Another thing, another big announcement is this is my hypertrophy camp. Um, I'm really excited about this. May 20th. This is an all day event. There will be a link in notes for those of you who are interested. All day event to learn about hypertrophy to learn about lifting and form. This is for everybody. This is for anybody who wants to increase their knowledge and confidence in the gym. I don't care if you're a beginner. I don't care if you're intermediate. I have worked one-on-one -on -one with coaches 
who have been trainers for years and thought they knew anatomy and training. And they have worked one-on-one with me and were like, wow, I didn't know what I didn't know. So this is for all levels. We're going to learn a little bit about the anatomy. We're going to dive into lifts. This is for people who lift at home or lift in the gym. Anybody who just wants to step up their game. Another thing I'm really excited about, I'm going to teach you guys what failure is. So many women have no idea what muscular failure is. And there's actually different kinds of failure. So maybe we'll teach you metabolic failure. Maybe we'll teach you systemic. Um, maybe we'll teach you just like a muscular tension failure. I'm really excited because so many women are like, I'm I'm not growing. I don't know why my muscles, my muscle isn't growing, my glutes aren't growing, whatever. And then they send me videos and I'm like, is that you lifting? Like you you could be like texting. You could be reading a book while you're doing that. If you're doing that stuff while you're lifting, like, yeah, your body's not going to change. It's not going to grow. So I'm really excited to teach people how to safely, obviously, push themselves to the limit. That's going to be awesome. And of course, I'll do it on when we do legs. We're going to have three breakout sessions where we're getting down onto the gym floor and training. So this is in Utah. This is in Sandy. May 20th, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. You get to hang out with me all day. I don't know if that's going to scare you away. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. I don't know. It is what it is. Um, (laughs) So, But I think it's going to be really, really fun to meet you guys, to rub shoulders with you, to... We can all just learn and grow and together. I love that. I love this idea of we all rise together by coming together as a community, by helping one another. This is a safe space for you to gain confidence uh, in your lifts at home or at the gym. I love it. Okay, guys, let's dive on into today's episode. Jordan Lips, he's sure to entertain and educate. (laughs) Jordan, how are you doing? I feel like most of my followers are your followers. Like they know us, both of us. Yeah, I think that that as well. So do I even need to introduce you? I don't think (laughs) one minute on the introduction for me. We're just gonna, we're just gonna skip it. We don't even need to go there. Um, How have you been? Oh my goodness. It's been forever. I feel like since we've chatted. Yeah, I've been great. Life is good. I mean, it's a busy we're doing the like marriage thing, then we're doing like the honeymoon thing, and then we might do like the make a baby thing. And so oh, man. it's busy times, but but all very, very good things. Life is good. Thank you for asking. But you have you're not married yet. Nope. Get married in seventeen days. Twenty oh, days. Oh my goodness. Get out. Okay. Yeah. What well, are you guys doing something fun for your honeymoon? We're going to Africa for two weeks. And so no. yes. <gasps> yeah. So excited. That is Awesome. That's going to be incredible. Yeah, we're pumped. It's going to be really great. So I was young and poor when I got married. Very, very poor. Africa would have been incredible. I think we went to Park City and that may sound really cool if you don't live in Utah, but we live in Utah. Like it is like, (laughs) for me, it was like a 20 minute drive. So, (laughs) So we're coming on 15 years are you sure you don't want to be interviewing me on, you know, 
how I made it this long, how I convinced Alex to stay for so long. <laughs> I do find that to be a fascinating topic, to be fair. I definitely do. Um, I don't I know think, if anybody else does, though. Yeah, I feel I feel like that's a beautiful thing that I'm definitely going to want to learn more about, you know, for sure. One day I'll be getting a call from you. You'll, you'll yeah, want to oh, know yeah. all of my words of wisdom on that subject. I need to have a call with Alex. That's what I need to have yeah, a call with. That's actually true. Call him. Be like, how did you put up with her for so long? That's the oh secret. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I actually invited Jordan on here because I want to talk about reverse dieting. And to be honest, there's not a lot of coaches that I like talking about reverse dieting with. <laughs> so, so I am excited to have you. Well, first off, I'm just going to let you kind of take this away. Jordan, what is reverse dieting? Yeah, it, it's, it, unfortunately, it could be a lot of things. It could be, it could be whatever you want it to be. Um, it could be, it, you could, you could define it in uh, ways that both exist and don't exist in reality. And that's where like a recent, like a recent, I suppose, recent tirade has come from on my end. And so I think the most important thing is just defining, like, if someone's like, hey, should I do a reverse diet? Like, there's no blanket answer to that question, because it requires a definition of what reverse dieting means and what your goal of doing it is. And then even how are you doing it? And so that's where like a lot of things get lost in translation. And if you were to be simply saying, you, you know, a reverse diet is returning to your new estimated maintenance after a period of, of, the uh, calorie deficit, you lost some weight and you want to go to your new maintenance at your new body shape, size and activity level so that you can maintain as much fat loss at your new body weight and all of that stuff, then that makes total sense to me. And that is a totally fine, applicable, logical, physiologically back to like, that's a good idea. You should at the end of a deficit, <laughs> go back, go to your new maintenance. That's a generally good idea. And if that's what a reverse diet is, then that's awesome. That's fantastic. I have no qualms with that as the definition or the application. Okay, but what do we usually see it as? What, Where do you find your frustration gets heightened, if you will, <laughs> to put it nicely? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the context in which I think there is uh, room for, for heightened uh, heart rate and blood pressure on my end is the... <laughs> is, is the I've been chronically dieting and I've damaged my metabolism I've been chronically under eating and I've damaged my metabolism, which is why I'm now heavier than I'd like to be. And I can't seem to lose weight. And so in order to lose weight, I need to reverse diet through eating more, which will heal my metabolism slash boost my metabolism so that I can then now cut maybe either on higher calories or on these current calories that happen to not be working right now. And so it's this idea of very simply put, if I if I increase my metabolism, if I boost my metabolism through eating more, it will change how my body adapts to lower calories or calorie deficit later. Um, and that to me is, there's so many, I got to tell you, there's so many assumptions that are made with that statement of I've been chronically eating and now I'm heavier than I'd like to be because I've damaged my metabolism and eating more will not only heal it, but now I can cut on higher calories in the future. There are just like many assumptions that are made within that context that I think are, are uh, iffy at best. And I will leave it there for a second and I'll let you interject if there's anything else you want to talk about. Well, yeah, let's just talk about this idea of damaging your metabolism because that is, I had a coach message me saying, somebody, one of my clients 
listened to your podcast and she said that Lindsay said I I damaged or broke my metabolism and and I need to eat more. And so that's what I'm going to do. And she goes, what podcast episode was that? And where is your research showing that metabolism can be damaged? And I was like, look, I I hate it when people misquote me too. That was a stretch. Do things alter in your body when you go into a calorie deficit? Yes. Uh, can we have hormones uh, downregulate? Yes. Can we have movement slow down and therefore be changing our energy output? Oh, yes. Okay. So did I say damage or broke your metabolism? Uh, Nope. (laughs) Like that one is hard. But so let's talk about that. Like what does happen when somebody gets into, ooh, 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 let me phrase this a little bit differently. What happens to somebody when they get into a calorie deficit for long periods of time, both mentally and physically? Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to part, I'm going to take that into two pieces because I think that it needs to be addressed into two pieces. It's not, uh, you know, we can, we can make it, we can make it complicated and I don't mean that negatively, but we can make it more complex. But what's happening is that you go into a calorie deficit and you, all of us undergoes metabolic changes. They're called metabolic adaptations. And is it something broken? Is this bad? Nope. It is a completely uh, normal, mandatory uh, metabolic reaction to a a, a state of underfeeding, being in a calorie deficit. What we usually really refer to as metabolic adaptation, it's like if you, the biggest adaptation that happens when you go into a deficit that reduces your, your maintenance calories, your overall, your TDEE, is that you lose weight. And so the biggest adaptation is weight loss. And so when someone's like, I adapted to these new calories, the way you adapt to your new deficit calories is by losing weight. But what metabolic adaptation really means is the amount of, of uh, metabolic adaptation, the amount of reduction in, in uh, your base metabolic rate beyond which you'd expect just from being smaller. And so there is a, if you lose 20 pounds and we recalibrate your maintenance calories, it will probably be be slightly under what you would calculate based on a scientific calculator or something like that because there's a little bit of additional adaptations that occur. And those are to some degree permanent. And so when we look at people who've lost large amounts of weight and you check up on them years and years and years later in labs, the ones that still have maintained weight loss still have some metabolic adaptation. Now, a lot of people are going to say, well, that's exactly it. Metabolic adaptation is permanent. That's fair uh, as a statement, but in terms of practicality, we're talking about an incredibly low amount of calories. Like it's yes. not 500 calories less than what science would predict. It's, yes. it's om- I would go as far as say it's a negligible amount of calories. And the, you want to know the best way to, un- to, to undo all of your metabolic adaptation is to gain all of your weight back. When we look at the biggest loser, which I know is a contestable it's a horrible thing and, and, and it, it's just a terrible, uh, um, the show is awful and everything about it is awful, but it gave us like an incredible amount of research on these people. Yes. Yeah. There were people who undid all their, all of their metabolic adaptation. They, they, they reverse dieted and they, they got rid of all metabolic adaptation and you know how they did it? They gained all of their weight back. And the people who were able to maintain weight at the one year mark and the six year mark still had metabolic adaptation and there's nothing broken. It's normal. It's not stopping you from losing weight. It's not, depending on what question you ask me, I could monologue and rant, but I will just say that as much as we're going to talk about metabolic adaptation and we're going to talk about metabolism, like 
they're just not things that you should be thinking about. Like you don't need to be thinking about metabolic adaptation. You don't need to be thinking about metabolism, really. You need to be thinking about like how you feel and the data that's in front of you mm -hmm. and acting upon that. Like you're not broken. Nothing's breaking. There's nothing super complicated. You don't need to be thinking about this stuff. It's mm -hmm. so – I always get a little bit weary of people's content who say the word metabolism a lot. It's like the human metabolism is fascinating. But the average person looking to be healthy should spend exactly zero seconds thinking about it because your actions shouldn't be based on, well, if I do this, I'll mitigate metabolic adaptation, or if I do this, I'll fix metabolic adaptation. You shouldn't really be, there's really no reason to be thinking about that really ever. It's not that it's not relevant. It's just like not in your control. You're not breaking anything. And so there's really not, there's other things that I think people can be worried about. So, yeah. Yeah. I loved that. I want to go back and just kind of just for those that may be a little confused, I, I want to just reiterate what Jordan was saying here, that if you take somebody at who weighs 130 pounds, they didn't get there through a dieting process and you look at their, their metabolism, and then you take somebody who dieted down to get there, that studies have shown that there is a slight reduction in the person who dieted down. And I actually don't even know, maybe you do, Jordan. I don't even know if we have enough research for long, long periods of time following these people to say that the reduction is flat out forever. I don't even know if we can say that. Now, I do know we have enough to know that it is for an extended period of time. But once again, what Jordan is saying here, guys, is that it is so small. 50, 75 calories that just you deciding to walk for another 15 minutes in like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, getting another thousand steps that it just, it, it, it it's a, it's a washout, right? If you, take it, the, if you take the research that we do have, which is, I think the best we have is, is six year follow-ups on biggest loser contestants, which is a long time. Okay. Yeah, years. That is. And not only the irony is you had said, Hey, 50, 75, 90, I think some of the average metabolic adaptation was like 94, cal 94 calories. And that's in people that are doing things that have, that look nothing like what you're doing. These people lost yes. hundred plus pounds in a matter yes. of days and weeks doing with, with the help of pharmaceuticals and doing crazy crash dieting and no really low calorie, ton of cardio, like and if they, after six years of doing something both in a magnitude of weight loss, but also a speed of weight loss, which people like to obsess about as if the faster you lose weight, the more you're damaging something. Um, if those people are only dealing with sub 100 calories of metabolic adaptation, yeah. there's no applicability for John or Sue who's losing even 30, 40, 50 pounds in a mm -hmm. shorter or in a, in a more moderate kind of rate of fat loss. There's just no... Again, it's just not something you need to be like, wow, I really, I couldn't do X because of metabolic adaptation. I'm not sure that's a, that's a fair statement. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And going back to the question of how, how, when we get into a calorie deficit, what is that doing to, you know, us physically? You did an amazing job answering that question. I bring up mentally because I think that that's important when people are living in, uh, a place like of mental scarcity around food for extended periods of time. I personally have experienced that a lot of them don't even know 
the general intake of food that they're eating. So they'll live in scarcity for a few days and then they'll binge a few others. And there's a lack of consistency, especially when you when people are trying to follow like 1200 calorie diets. It's so hard to do that for an extended period that what people are saying oftentimes when they come to me and they say, I've been eating 1200 calories. I can't eat anything more than that. Otherwise I gain weight. Typically it's a mental thing more than anything because they wrote down on their piece of paper, 1200. That's it. Like that's what they're trying to break is what they wrote down. They actually don't eat 1200 calories. They're eating closer to maybe, I don't, I don't know, like 18 or whatever, closer to their metabolism or, or excuse me, their maintenance. And so I feel like mentally, the longer somebody lives in restriction, it's almost like they do a poorer job of tracking everything there. So we have a hard time actually knowing what's going in. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. It's it's the correct reframing of the term of the of the context. I'm a chronic undereater and I'm overweight. I want to be very clear. That is technically an oxymoron. It is impossible. You cannot chronically undereat yourself to weight gain. There's nobody who's overweight, and I guess that that's a subjective term, but let's just use it in a yeah. very, very general context. It's impossible to get there having chronically undereated. Uh, undereaten and what and what's actually happening and a lot of people are like I'm a chronic undereater I'm a chronic undereater it's like it's this not possible because you've been in a net surplus for some time to get where you wanted to go and so maybe you're periodically undereating mm-hmm. or you're well what's what is happening is you might be periodically undereating and periodically overeating and netting a surplus over time and gaining weight and what you said is is really what often happens which is I've been in a very restrictive mindset trying to undereat trying to eat less. Mm -hmm. And the net of that still means I'm in a surplus because I go from these like binge restrict cycles. And and I'm very sympathetic to that because I see, we listen, Mm -hmm. there are people who chronically undereat five days per week, right? Which is chronically kind of tongue in cheek because that's still not chronic. And two days a week, they overeat and they're in a net surplus over time. And so, or they chronically undereat for two weeks and then overeat for the next five. And then they feel like, well, I'm a very restrictive person. It's like, up here in your head, you might very well be. And that's absolutely has merit and we should address that. And that's like completely valid. And we got to talk about that. But we do need to, like you said, very eloquently in the beginning, kind of differentiate between physiologically what's happening and psychologically what's happening. And yeah. and, and I I want to be like, I don't want to go on this rant. I guess the, the, it will happen a little bit. Two things. The first thing is that I'm very happy for everybody who's had a positive outcome with reverse dieting. Like if you're like, hey, I had a coach did this reverse dieting protocol and I am now in a place that I'm happy about, whatever that objectively looks like, I'm stoked for you. I love that so much. But that coach, or I don't want to pick on the coach, but like like this process, in order for you to have the successful outcome, we've left 10 people in in your wake of people who have gained weight they didn't want to and been told that they needed to fix a metabolism when they didn't. And so- Mm -hmm. I I think that like some people would be like, who cares? Why are you guys arguing about why this is happening? Why are you arguing about physiology? Like it works. It's like, we can get those people who had a positive outcome. We can still get those people, their positive outcome without these 10 people being left or being sacrificed in order for you to get your, your good outcome. And so there isn't, I think 
people want to be like, who cares why it's happening? You know, it's, it's good. It's like, that's not true. And there is an inherent benefit of knowing why this is happening. It's important to know why it's happening. And it's not pedantic. It's not, we're not like majoring in the minors. It's important to know why this is happening for setting client expectations and generally helping people. We can get a higher percentage of help to harm if we all very much understand what's going on. And I just think that a lot of people are like, you're being too particular and you're being very pedantic. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, listen, there's a lot, you haven't gotten the hundreds of DMs that I've gotten in the past week of, mm. I gained 20 pounds. And when I asked my coach what was happening, they told me I just need to keep doing this for longer or I need to up my calories more or, and so I'm very happy for everyone who's had a positive result, but I still think there's, a, we can get you your positive result and without having these 10 people have to gain weight throughout to have one person who happens to have a good a positive result with it. So I would start by saying that and, and, and we'll start there. Well, I, I absolutely love that. I found that like I, I was doing in a podcast interview yesterday with somebody else and, and I brought this up. So I'm sorry if I like sound redundant bringing this up, but I think it's really powerful. Stories are very powerful. It, they draw people in and they motivate us to change. And that's wonderful. Um, but stories that are based purely on feelings and not facts can be very misleading and can, can lead people down the wrong path. And so I love social media because people get to get on and tell their stories and their stories are wonderful and it is so great. But sometimes their stories are not based off of facts. There's some coincidental things that have happened. And, and I, I will say that about reverse dieting. So the, the question that the reason why I bring this up is because I'm sure you see this a ton and you talked about this a little bit where people think that we can somehow reverse past our maintenance or continue to push our maintenance up to these new incredible levels where our body shouldn't be able to go and yet it is going and 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 then um which isn't the case um they've done a lot of studies on overfeeding and it doesn't drive up our maintenance like people are preaching um and so there's that, but these people share these really moving stories. But I think that the stories are based off of um, just their perception of things. So here I was being a chronic dieter, if you will, mentally, constantly living in this state of restriction. And somebody finally gave me permission to eat more. Somebody that I trusted gave me permission to eat more. And I actually, for the first time in my life, started consistently tracking around maintenance versus consistently tracking a few days, then binging and overeating, tracking a few things, then binging and overeating. And so finally, they were able to say, wow, I can eat so much more. In reality, they were actually eating that way to, to begin with, but their mind hadn't got there yet. And then they, they take that though, and they tell this amazing story of look what reverse dieting did. It, it actually broke the laws of science and you can do that too. And then sadly, they typically end it with a sales pitch of, let me show you how. <laughs> do, you, do you know what, what is the number one 
best way in the literature, the number one thing you can do to help people get more accurate with tracking. What? Have them eat more? Is increase their calories. And we see that there's a linear relationship between the calories you eat and the accuracy with your tracking. And and I'm not, again, this isn't like, uh, it just circles back to like, we're not trying to be cynical. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm not trying to be like, oh my God, you were just, you were eating more than you thought. Like, but it, not to tangent, but a lot of people have issues with the, the advice, eat less and move more, right? Like when, when somebody says, oh, you just got to eat less and move more. Like if, if I post that today, it's a rampage in the comments of like people like, that's not, that's not contextual. That's not nuanced. That's not, it's not that simple. I totally agree. A hundred percent. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not, oh, it's, yeah. it's oversimplified all that, but there are fundamental truths that we need to first establish from which to operate. And it's like the top of a flow chart. It's like, we need to start with eat less, move more. Okay. And w- underneath those um, each have an umbrella of m- a lot of different processes and a lot of different reasons you might do one over the other, all that stuff. I say that because like, it's like, I'm not, I'm not like some hard ass who like needs to then not baby people and like tell everyone, Hey, you're just eating too much. Like I, I don't want to just do that. The alternative is selling somebody something that's a lie. And so as a coach, you're like, Oh, I know this person is eating too much. And so instead I'm going to sell them this, like, Hey, we're going to boost your metabolism by increasing calories. And so I think we just, we need to start with some fundamental truths of like, if you've gained weight over the years, I promise you, you do not have any metabolic damage. Every minute you've spent in a surplus has undone whatever adaptations you had at one point from going down. And so if you're heavier than you would like to be, you have a little extra, more body fat, whatever, like you don't have any metabolic adaptation currently. Um, you've adapted upwards through the periods of time you spent in a surplus. You know, if you weren't losing weight at, four, if you tell me a story that you were not eating, losing weight at 14 and now 1400, and now you're losing weight at 1800, like we just need to operate with an understanding of like, that isn't a thing. That's not physiologically, that's not a thing. Practically can totally happen. And there's going to be a lot of people that say that that was what happened to them. But those people who say that that's what happened to them, we can still get them their positive outcome by having compassionate discussion around how this actually works mm-hmm. without all 10 other people who thought they were, you know, who, who ended up, you know, eating way more than they wanted and gaining weight. And so I think that there's like some hard truths we need to all get on the same page about. We can do the, the most net good. And maybe we hurt some feelings a little bit. People who are like, oh, you're telling me it's my fault. It's like, yeah, I mean, I'm just telling you that what you're saying happened happened isn't physiologically possible. Let's move forward with that as an understanding. Let's do the best we can to get you the result you want. It's nicer to say, we boost your meta- we're going to boost your metabolism. We're going to get you up to this many calories. You're going to eat way more and you can still lose weight. It's easier to say that than like, you were never eating for 1400 in the first place. I'm sorry. If you were eating 14, you would have lost a lot more weight and faster. And so the fact that you weren't then, but you are now with more food means that you're actually eating less food now you're doing that because like you said, we've given you permission to increase your MyFitnessPal number. Like sometimes it's that simple of just like changing that person's MyFitnessPal number. And all of a sudden they have a more consistent caloric intake. They have less of these binge restrict cycles because they're not doing five days at 1200 and two days at 5,000. And so that's an amazing Mm -hmm. thing. I love that. And I've done that many, like people are like, oh, you don't do, I do that. I absolutely do that. If I see a client who's like eating 1200 and says she's eating he or she's eating 1200 not losing weight we might be like hey let's let's aim for a higher number let's just see how this goes but selling yeah. that client an idea that what we're doing right now is to fix their metabolism is is not the move that is a lie that is a flat out lie and it might work out okay once in a while 
but it is doing more harm than good is, is where I'm coming from. Um, what, if, what about your thoughts on this one? So when we go into a calorie deficit, our thyroid hormones do, we do see a reduction. And so when we spend chronic period, well, I don't even want to say chronic period. Let's say we spent 12 weeks, 24 even in a calorie deficit, thyroid levels are going to go down. That's just what happens. And so do you think sometimes people are referring to hormones, the thyroid hormone specifically going back to a healthy place when they're saying reverse dieting, going back to maintenance is quote unquote fixing your metabolism, but maybe what they're saying, they're trying to speak to the language that that person knows, but maybe what they're really trying to say is, look, your satiety, your hunger hormones, your thyroid hormones, let's get them back up functioning really well, getting you feeling really, really good before we go into another one. What are your thoughts around that? I love it. I think that there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, the, the, the semantics of... Uh... Like I would ask you, what's the end goal? And you ended up saying it. You're like, the end goal is so that you feel really good again. And, and that I think is fine. I think it's totally, that makes a ton of sense to me. It's all about like, it's not just what you're doing. It's what you're articulating to the client and what you're actually thinking is, what you're actually telling them is happening. So if you have somebody yeah. who's been in a deficit for a while, like I wouldn't even, I know you wouldn't either, but I wouldn't mention thyroid. Like, I mean, you could, if you're like trying, that person, if you're on that level with this person and whatever, you're just yeah. trying to sound smart. But like, the idea of let's eat more so that we feel better and there might be practical benefits of feeling better, that, 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 that yeah. is totally fine with me. And that is that has to do with every that has to do with every um like interval of time in which we do like nutrition periodization. It has to do with refeeds and mm -hmm. diet breaks and maintenance phases. They're all transient changes in metabolism. And and they're all like we know that there's no lasting benefits from a refeed or a diet break, but they Mm -hmm. They serve as a temporary feel-good uh, time where you feel better from which you can make decisions about going forward. They're not like, we're not doing something whimsical. And I think that taking away the whimsy and the the special and the hacking and the, the you know, uh, uh, boosting and all of that stuff and, and just coming down to like, hey, like if we eat a little bit more, we'll feel a little bit better. The, 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 mm -hmm. I have, there's, there's a couple of things that I, I would feel remiss if we didn't talk about. Number one is that something I know you you kind of touched on before, which is this like, this, this, Emotional attachment to the numbers that the, to the numbers that we're using across the board, um, and not just the numbers, but the level of certainty with which we have those numbers. Like somebody will say, "I'm eating X and I'm moving Y. Right? I'm eating X calories. I'm moving X amount." And based on that, I should be having this certain outcome. Let's call it fat loss based on X or Z calculator. So you've taken many numbers and triangulated them into an expectation. And your level of certainty about all of them is way too high. Your level of certainty with which you talk about the calories you eat, you must accept that even the most diligent trackers are off by at least 10% and almost certainly in the other direction. Your, your estimation of your activity level is, is higher than, is most likely higher than it, is, than it is realistically. And then the calculator you're using is, does not know your genetics at all and assumes that all of the inputs are perfect. So it assumes that what you're eating and what you're moving is exactly what you are actually eat, moving and um, eating. And then this expectation of what should be happening really messes people up. I don't know how you've, how you, you know, I'm sure you've come across this, but have you had clients that feel fine, aren't food focused, 
not super hungry, not super tired, not, again, not overly food focused, but they refuse or are very resistant to lowering calories because of some, I shouldn't have to mentality, or this is, I'm already eating very little, or based on the calculator or what my friend does, like I shouldn't have to eat less. And I think that there's a real dissociation between like the level of certainty with which you put these numbers up on a pedestal and actually dealing with the circumstances that you are living. Like that, that to me is a big hurdle for, for people. They're like, well, I'm 150 pounds and I shouldn't have to eat less than 1500 calories. It's like one, you're probably eating more than that. Two, where have you built this? Like I should have to, it's like, you feel fine. Your blood work is fine. You're not super hungry. Like I don't know what, what, what we're relying too much on this, like emotional attachment to like, I should based on these numbers versus dealing with the individual in front of us by all accounts might just feel fine lowering calories a little bit. Yeah, no, that's that you bring up a really, really good point there. Um, and I have had that happen before. And I do ask my clients, especially when I see stalls for, I mean, we don't look week to week, we step back and we look over weeks and we look at pictures and measurements and weight and all of those things. And if things are stalling, I usually will ask them, like, oh, talk to me about your hunger throughout the day. Like, let's walk through that. And everybody's hunger is, is actually different. So we can't compare, but I can take them as an individual, right? And if I'm not seeing like any hunger even... I'm like, well, then we're okay to lower things a little bit and you're going to be fine. And if you're not, and I, I like that you bring it up that you probably are overeating somewhere. If you, if we've stalled for three weeks and you're not feeling hungry at all, and you're doing the movement that you think you're doing, then we probably have stalled somewhere. Do you know what? Hunger is a hard one to talk about though, Jordan. No. You start talking about hunger, especially on social media. I talked about hunger one time and I, all of a sudden, did you remember that one? I got slammed. I got slammed. I found out somebody had taken, for you listeners, somebody had on TikTok had taken totally, I'm sure, out of context. And it's genuinely somebody I I like. And so I know this post very well and I'm... Oh, okay. Anyway, I know the context and I know the the out of context that it was taken. So keep... Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Oh, so I don't even know who, who shared it and I don't really care to. But yeah, it was taken and just blown out of proportion. And... It was interesting because I got, I mean, women were writing me, telling me like, my daughter has is anorexic and it's people like you that have done that. And I'm like, well, anorexia, if you think that I've caused it, there's like, you don't know much about anorexia because it's, it's very deep and they're actually finding ties, genetic ties now to anorexia. So I probably have far less to do with it than the person, the mother writing me. But um, it's it's a very interesting thing. But it's hard to talk about hunger because it's like, how do you talk about it without to a world of people who have been dieting unhealthily and then they take what I say about, well, let's discuss hunger like it's okay if you're hungry a little bit to push into that hunger. You know, I I bring th- people through diets all the time. We do it in very healthy ways and it's okay to be hungry once in a while. It's the same exact principle of if you want to save money, it's you, 
it's okay to go with wanting. But we live in this world where people have a really hard time saying no to their wants in the moment. It's really hard. So anyways, that's my tangent is that hunger is a hard one to talk about because people get, they get like angry. Like, oh, you're saying somebody should be hungry to the point of death and to push through it. Like, that's not what I was saying at all, but okay. I don't think it's controversial to say if you're never hungry, that is one piece of data in on the in, checked in the box of maybe you're not in a deficit. I don't think that, I think if you're like, nobody's like promoting, nobody's like, you should do this. We're not putting it up on a pedestal. But like, like you said, it's like one thing that we can help, one piece of data where we can help triangulate, like, is this person actually in a deficit? Mm-hmm. If you're never, ever hungry, that's one piece of data. We're going to look at others. I'm sure you would too. But man, if someone's like, nah, I'm not, I'm not really too hungry. I feel great. It's like, okay. Yeah. like, And your weight has stalled. Um, so those two together make me believe eh, maybe you're not in a deficit. And I don't think that's a contentious statement. Yeah. Well, glad we're on the same page there. That's why we're friends. Yeah. You're not going to blast me all over TikTok. Yeah. I'm clipping (laughs) this whole podcast out. Um, There's there's a point that I think is, is, is one that, um, is lost. And again, it's one of these like fundamental truths that we must all get on the same page about. And, and sometimes we have these fundamental truths that, they cross out one option. So it's like one, when I say this, I'm eliminating one thing that might be happening. And people don't like that because then we have to now think about what might, what are the other odd things that might be happening? It was nicer when we had this nice, you know, package with a bow on it. And it's, you know, t- telling you that that's not what's happening. Sometimes it's like, all right, we have to figure it out now. Like, and, and the figuring it out takes a lot more work. And I'll get to that. And that's, if you're not losing weight, and again, I don't put weight loss on a pedestal at all, but these are just objective facts. And nobody, I'm not, you shouldn't lose weight. I'm not like a, you should do anything. But if you're not losing weight, the statement I think is just like, let's all breathe this in. If you're not losing weight, you're not in a calorie deficit. And no, no amount of eating more, no amount of eating more over any time scale will change how your body at this current activity level and body shape and size will adapt to the calories you're eating right now. And what I mean is that if you like are eating X calories and you're stalled out, you're doing 10,000 steps, you weigh 150 pounds and you are eating X amount of calories and you're losing no weight over months and months and months, there's nothing you're going to do to your body through eating more temporarily that you will one day return to this same body, same activity, same calories, and now it will be a deficit. And I think that that's like, there's, that's exactly the crux of the reverse dieting argument is, oh, we will fix this, boost your metabolism, and then we'll drop under your new metabolism and you'll, you'll lose weight now. We have a ton of evidence on metabolic adaptation, and there is not a single shred that points in the direction that eating more in an attempt to boost metabolism, which by the way, is a thing. If you eat more, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, if you eat more, right? Just like your body can downregulate certain processes if you eat in a deficit, if you start eating more, your body will upregulate those processes. That's totally a thing. But mm-hmm. doing that, finding out how, you know, we talk about upper end of maintenance. What that means is like finding out how much you can eat at a certain body weight and activity level, finding that out, figure, you know, eating more, whether it's nice and slow or whatever, none of that will change how your body in the future adapt to a calorie deficit. So there's just no such thing as like, I'll eat more for a while and then I'll return to somewhere that was once a plateau and with no other changes, it's not a plateau anymore and I'm losing weight. That's just, that is physiologically breaks so many rules 
and so many things that we see. If this was possible, by the way, and I'll go just, I'll end this rant in a second. Like, <laughs> just look at, like, ask any bodybuilding coach. I recently had Mark Carroll on my podcast. Like, these are like the perfect examples of this. These people are people who diet down to incredible levels of leanness. If anybody has a ton of metabolic adaptation, it's these people, or it's mm-hmm. that they would yeah. be in a category yeah. that would have more. And then they spend the entire off season reverse dieting. They spend their entire off season eating more food and more food than going to a surplus yeah. and spending a long time doing that. Yeah. And when they return to stage, it takes the same amount of calories and the same amount of cardio. Yes. If anything becomes harder, which is a different conversation. And so these people would be just bringing their metabolism up if this is how that works. And I don't want to hang too much of a hat on that argument because it's more of just like an example of how this isn't a thing, but there's just no amount of eating more that will allow you to come back to a place you've been that was a plateau that is now not a plateau. The problem is that people have had that experience of, I was eating 15, it wasn't working, then I ate 2000 Mm -hmm. for a while, then I came back to 15 and I started losing. And that's cool, but I'm telling you, the reason why that worked has nothing to do with your metabolism healing or a physiological hack. It has everything to do with either you are more adherent with your calories that you're tracking, or you've become more active over that time. And I'm super happy if that was your outcome. And I do not want to, sh- you know, uh, talk down to it. I'm not <laughs> happy for you. I didn't know if we could swear. I already I, swore. I know. I, I thought it was cute that you caught yourself. I just, Good I job. Don't want to talk Good down job to those people. I'm stoked for you. But yeah. But we need to operate from this these fundamental truths to, to do the best for the most people. I do think it's important that we bring up real life um well, I should say real life, but in bringing up bodybuilder approaches, extreme approaches, when we see extreme approaches, we usually are going to see things a lot differently than when we're doing it with a general pop client, right? I actually just had a friend, Val, who's a bikini competitor, and she was on a few months ago, actually, and she was saying the same thing. She's like, I went through a build and I still had to drop down to 13 at 1.1200. And of course, this is extreme because she's getting up on stage. But she's like, I still had to do that. Still had to push myself like that. It wasn't like, oh, I went through a build and now I can lose weight at 2000 calories. She's like, I, I wish that would be incredible. But that's just not true. Another thing I've heard about reverse dieting, I think this will be the last thing that we talk about. I get this a lot. Like, And we've already kind of talked about this, but I just want to use another example. So I had a friend telling me that um, she hasn't been tracking at all, but she's like, I just hardly eat at all. I really need to reverse diet. And then I can go into a calorie deficits. And when I was talking to her and I really started pulling information, her meals that she ate were tiny, tiny. Like for breakfast, she would just snack on a banana and a protein shake. And then for lunch, it was the salad. For dinner, it was this tight, like half of the meal of her family. But as I really pulled information from her, she started telling me, well, I I love candy, (laughs) which I, I can get on board with that. I love candy too. But she had these tiny, tiny meals And then she literally ate candy all day long. She's snacking on it. And so here she has, because of these stories that have been told on social media about the need to reverse when you're not eating very much so that then you can have a productive cut. 
she started telling herself this story of, oh, my metabolism is slowed down because I don't eat very much. I now need to go through this long-winded reverse. And I'm like, girl, you have been putting weight on. So I'm pretty much in just more words. I'm giving a story to everything you've said, Jordan, pretty much giving it the story. We talked about how powerful stories are, but here's the other story, the real story. And she's like, now I'm going to take three months to reverse up my calories. And I'm like, you just barely told me that you've put on 20 pounds. You just told, you don't need to be reversing. You're going to take three months to track everything that goes in your mouth for a reverse so that you can go right back down and continue tracking to go back down into a calorie deficit. These are the stories, guys, that me and Jordan are hearing and trying to combat all the time. And as you dive deeper, it's always the same story. They eat these tiny, tiny meals and that's what they call their food but then they forget that they are literally snacking and eating all throughout the day. What's great about working with somebody like that though, is I usually don't do a reverse. Do you do a reverse with people who come in begging for a reverse like that? What do you do? I I would, I would. Educate? Yeah, certainly educate. And we might, we might do the same thing. We might not do this like mega slow reverse as if there's some benefit to that, but we might say, Hey, let's, you know, if you think your deficit calories would be 15, like, and you haven't tracked in a long time and start at 18 or something like that, more of like a get your stuff together, get your, get more consistent, build some of those habits back. And sometimes, you know, whatever that number might be a deficit might be not a deficit. Um, but a lot of times there's a positive outcome that, that happens along the way. Yes, exactly. So I'm so glad that you brought that up because I won't tell them we're going to get, we're going to do a slow reverse. I tell them, Let's just establish your maintenance and your lifestyle and get things going. Let's establish habits, lifestyle, maintenance calories, and then let's go down. So we don't need to shame them. Just educate. Don't, we're not going to be telling you. We're talking about it passionately right now. Jordan, Jordan's a little bit more passionate about it than I am. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, but. I think it's really important to meet people where they're at. Totally. And so if somebody really believes in that, I don't usually jump on like, oh, that's stupid. No, you don't need to do that. Usually I just say, you know, I do think it's really important that we begin with maintenance and lifestyle, and then we learn to make tiny adjustments down. And so then as I'm doing that over a few months, I say, oh, by the way, that whole reverse dieting thing (laughs) to overfeed, to be able to diet at now higher calories. We don't have a ton of evidence of that. So it's usually what I say. What you just said is, is, is more difficult uh, as a coach. And I think that that's really what it boils down to. And so there's a lot of, it's more difficult for me to say, "Hmm, how can I validate firm not, you know, how, how can I, you know, make my client not feel stupid and get them the result that I really think that they, that I go the route that I think will have a positive outcome without affirming something I know is not true, but at the same time, not making it such a negative thing where they feel stupid and, and disempowered. And so yeah. that's it. What we're talking about here is, is, you know, I hate the art of coaching it to me. This is the cringiest statement, but like, that is what that is. <laughs> it's is more an art though. 
Um, yeah. And it's more difficult to, to, to be balanced in that way. Um, and th- so that's, it's harder to do that. And for coaches who have been selling reverse diets for a long time, like it makes it even harder now to unravel this as you're like, this is how you've been getting your business. Um, and you know, a lot of them will hide behind like, this is, Oh, it's, it's, you know, I have all these success stories. It's like, all right, check my DMS. You have many not success stories as well. I promise. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and once again, the, the, there is correlation to getting people to eat more to them being better at following the plan. And, and that's like really where the success comes from is like I said, giving permission to people for people to eat more. And then, but, but we don't have to tell them half truths in order to do that. Like we can tell them the full story, but get them to eat more, feel good about eating more, and, and another thing too, so my friend is, um, she's a coach. It, it's interesting. She's an eating disorder coach and we talk all the time. She had anorexia and she tells me all the time. It is fascinating, um, for her, like when she gets into a calorie deficit, just immediately what it does to her mind. So just, so that's why when people come to me and they've, they've had eating disorders before, I I won't work with them. I'll give them training plans. I won't get them in a calorie deficit because it, even if you've been quote unquote healed for like six plus years, the very act of getting into a calorie deficit will trigger things. And it usually triggers a lot of negative responses. And obviously there are varying degrees of which somebody can be anorexic or bulimic or having some sort of eating disorder. But um, I I don't know. I just kind of wanted to bring that up, that sometimes the worst thing is to constantly be preaching scarcity, 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 you know, diet, diet, diet. And coaches that are a little bit more confident and sure of themselves will be the coaches that preach fueling yourself appropriately. Let's sit where you can enjoy your training, enjoy your nutrition. Food isn't to be scared of. Um, and we can use it appropriately and you can live a far more fulfilling life. So there is something to be said about let's preach to get them to eat more, but the reverse dieting process, we're not going to be pushing to overeat to yes, exactly. Like what we've pretty much nailed. Yeah. If I might say so myself. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I might leave with one or two thoughts. Yes, please do. Number one would be that that while I think that your situation with your friend where you were like, hey, I'm not going to like totally rank on her, what her mentality of what's happening is, I think that there's, there's again, back to like the art of coaching. There's like, mm-hmm. there is an element of like people responding really well to honesty and, and, and you don't like saying to the person, you're not actually eating that much. You are, you must be eating more and let's, and let's work on that and doing it in a positive way. Like, that is, that's an air of like taking the personal, personal responsibility approach where you're like, no, actually this is your fault. One, there is something beautiful about that because it, the acknowledgement of personal responsibility doesn't need to be depressing. It should be empowering. It's it, in one breath feels like you're attacking a person. And in another breath, you're giving them all the power back. Yes. And I think that that's, that's really like, I'm not I, like Lane is very much on this train of like, you know, uh, not, you know, being brutally honest, let's say. But I, and I don't, I think there are a lot of people out there that I've had many experiences of like the honesty, hey, Jordan, you telling me that like 
this is BS and I'm actually, we let's get to the bottom of it and I'm here for you as your coach, but this is not what's happening. Let's, let's be honest with ourselves and start to really dive deep. Like that has had almost unequivocally positive outcomes. And, and as long as you're doing it in a supportive way, like yeah. most people will appreciate being real with them. And the second, the second thing is that it's a little bit, it's a little bit all the rage right now to, to be on the, like, like you said, there's a fine line between like the, I want to be talking more about people fueling and I don't want to be 24 seven talking about restriction. And I want, like, there's a big movement, like, like reverse dieting is also an easy sell because you get to be at the same time empowering, you know, you get to be on yeah. at the same time, yeah. like not the diet person, you get to be yes. the more person. And so it's a really like from a coach perspective, it's a tempting stance. And from a client perspective, I mean, come on, my problem is I'm not eating enough. Like what a great sales pitch. Yes. No, you pretty much nailed that. I love it. Okay, Jordan, anything else you want to tell us before you, where can people find you? On on social media, on Instagram, <laughs> I have a podcast, uh, where Optimal Meets Practical and uh, yeah, all on Instagram. All good. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. Awesome. It was great talking to you. We'll see you, Jordan. Bye, Lindsay. 